This is Purple Elephant, where I bring the proverbial elephant to the table in order to deconstruct ableism, prejudice and misconceptions. On today's episode, we have Megan Taylor. She has a multi-purpose assistance dog called Roly, and today we're going to be talking all about him, their partnership and what it means to have multiple disabilities and have a dog that supports you in that role. Definitely, before you touch anyone or their medical equipment, that includes their dog or their cane or their wheelchair, always ask first. I always like the saying that assistance dogs are like boobs, um, that you shouldn't touch them, photograph them or stare at them without permission. Welcome to Purple Elephant, Megan. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. For those that don't know you, would you be willing to introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are? Yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Megan. Um, I'm 24 and I live in southwest London. Um, I have multiple disabilities, including um, vision loss, hearing loss, um, problems with balance, um, as well as frequent fainting attacks. Um, I'm partnered with a multi-purpose assistance dog um, called Roly. Um, he's my second assistance dog. So before him, I had Ruby, who is now enjoying retirement as my pet. Um, and I blog about um, their adventures together on our Facebook page, uh, Ruby and Rolly the Super Dogs. It is a fantastic page. It's actually how I came across you. Um, you you're, the dogs are so brilliant. Like you can tell they love each other to bits, but it, it like absolutely astonishes me of how hard they both have worked in their lifetimes. It's, yeah, it's really impressive. Thank you. I mean, they... It took a while for them to sort of become good friends initially. Ruby was a bit annoyed about Rolly sort of coming in and taking over, um, but now they absolutely love each other. So it's really nice to see that relationship sort of blossoming between them. Oh, brilliant. Oh, that's so good. So you mentioned that Rolly is a multi-purpose, oh, I might even just get this wrong, well, multi-purpose service dog. Could you explain for those in the audience who are listening to this, what, what that means for, for him and for you as a partnership? Um, so being a multi-purpose assistance dog just means that he's been trained to assist me with multiple disabilities. So he's actually qualified with two charities. So um, he's qualified as a guide dog. And we also worked with a charity called Dog Aid um, Assistance and Disability. And they actually teach people with disabilities how to train their own assistance dogs. So with help from Dog Aid, I was able to teach Rolly lots of additional things, such as picking things up that I've dropped, untying my shoes, um, helping me to get under dressed um, as well as alerting me to my fainting episodes so he does this um, using his sense of smell to detect um, small biochemical changes which happen in the body before you become unconscious so he can actually let me know in advance which means that I get to lay down safely rather than just sort of suddenly collapsing and hurting myself so it's made an absolutely massive difference to my life um, and yeah, so it just basically means that he's qualified with, with two charities rather than the one and uh, helps me in, in multiple different ways. Brilliant. He's, he's a super dog for sure. And that's why I love the title. Um, I saw on Facebook, I think it was a couple of days ago, that he's, he's done his 1,000th... I'm being stupid here. 1,000th medical alert. Yeah. That's it. So I, since he learned how to alert, I've been keeping a diary so I can track um, all of his progress and his alerts. And uh, yeah, I think it was last week he did his 1,000th alert. Um, we're coming up to just um, almost two years as a partnership. So that's 1,000 times in the last two years that he's potentially saved my life. So it's uh, quite amazing, really, when you look at it like that. Mm, it's absolutely magnificent. And I've learned so much from you because 
I am totally blind and I've had Ida since um, 2017. And I've taught her like fun things around the house, like picking things up. But obviously she hasn't had any extra training. And with Rowley, I'm just, yeah, I'm blown away by his enthusiasm and his his excitement with it all. And I know with, with guide dogs or any service or assistance dogs, they wouldn't do the job if they didn't want to. But the fact that he's got such like a, long day in in regards to how many things he could be helping and supporting you with and I think you put up on Facebook the other the other day about how he even alerts you if, even if you're sleeping and he's sleeping in another room and I just thought it's magical because if I'm asleep and I just asleep for example for us to walk into a door or something in the middle of the night she wouldn't move <laughs> no well because dogs have such an amazing sense of smell um he will actually wake up from a nap to let me know um similarly if someone was perhaps cooking your favorite meal in your kitchen you would smell that um, and perhaps wake up from your nap or you would smell it from the other room um dogs have really really incredible noses so a fun fact is that they can detect substances at dilution levels of parts per trillion so that's like the equivalent of being able to smell a teaspoon of sugar that's dissolved in two olympic sized swimming pools so that's just how powerful their noses are so even if he's asleep his brain can still still process that change in my scent and then he'll wake up um, to let me know and then get his tasty reward for doing so. That's absolutely magnificent. How can the uh, general public distinguish that he is um, a service, like a dual purpose service dog in comparison to say Ida with her guide dog harness? Is there anything that's distinguishable? Um, yeah, so because we're with both charities, um, he has two logos on his harness handle. So he'll have the, the blue guide dogs logo mm -hmm. and then he has the dog aid logo, which is red. Um, the other other dual purpose assistance dogs have like checkered front pieces. So, for example, a red and white checker will indicate that they, the handler is deafblind. Um, or a blue and white checker indicates that the guide dog is also trained in seizure alert for someone with epilepsy. So there are sort of different uniforms that, that can indicate. Um, yeah, Rolly just has both logos on his. How long did it take for him to train to become a dual assistance dog for you? Um, so we were matched um, from Guide Dogs London and we did our initial guide dog training um, just like any other partnership um, and we qualified um, as just a guide dog. Um, once we'd done that we then started working with Dog Aid to teach him the additional tasks. Um, that took us about six months I think um, and then he qualified as a dual purpose dog so sort of from puppyhood to qualifying fully um, he was probably about two, two and a half years old. Um, well, no, he was 22 months old when I got him. So he was probably just um, just over two when he fully qualified. Guide dogs are still puppies when they come to you, I think. And you really are like putting your life in their paws, as people say. But the fact that they can do so much at such a young age and through positive reinforcement training and treating and things like that and the STEP program, I do find it really interesting that they work for from such a young age. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think they should be trained as young as they are? Or do you think like it's a perfect age for them because they're more malleable? Um, I think it's important to start training from a young age, um, especially in terms of like socializing to different environments and noises. Um, with Ruby, my first assistance dog, she was already our family pet before she came before she became an assistance dog. Mm -hmm. So she hadn't 
had the same training as say a guide dog puppy and while she was able to reach a high standard and qualify she did have some issues with like noise phobias and things because she was socialized as a pet rather than a working dog so she'd never been in a supermarket and heard the beeping tills or things like that whereas guide dog puppies are exposed to that from a young age so I think it is important um, but they all sort of qualify when they're ready, don't they? So if a dog needs additional training, then they'll have a few extra months before they're matched. Um, it's all about sort of suiting for the individual dog and, and the, uh, the handler that they're, that they're matched with. But what task does he support you with on a daily basis? Um, so on a daily basis, he helps me with things such as getting undressed because um, with my medical condition, anytime that I bend down, I get really dizzy and lose my balance. So having him sort of untie my shoes and pull off my socks means that I don't need to bend down. So it really improves my quality of life. Um, he can also help with things such as picking up anything that I drop, taking things out of the washing machine and passing them up to me again so that I don't need to bend down. Mm -hmm. um, he can get things off of low shelves in supermarkets. So I just point at what I need and he'll pick it up and pass it to me. Um, he can find things that I need as a guide dog, obviously, so he can locate exits and chairs for me. Um, and then with the medical alert, um, sort of letting me know up to seven minutes before I become unconscious so that I can make sure I'm safe and let somebody know. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that the public know the importance of a working partnership in dogs and humans? Yes and no. I mean, the public as a whole are generally quite understanding and supportive, I found. Um, however, there are some individuals that don't respect um, a working dog and they'll sort of come up and distract them when they're working or they can be quite invasive um, asking really personal questions about your disabilities mm -hmm. um, and I'm all I'm all for educating and, and talking to people but when they sort of demand to know what's wrong with you um, when you're just trying to sort of buy lunch it can be quite frustrating um, and I've had several occasions where people have been distracting Rolly whilst he's actually in the middle of an important task. So he was alerting me to an oncoming episode on a train um, and the lady sitting beside me started stroking him. And I explained, I said, um, please, could you not distract him because he's actually working right now? Um, and she said, oh, it's OK. I love dogs. Oh. And just sort of carried on stroking him. Um, and eventually I had to be quite firm because obviously he was letting me know that I was about to become unconscious. So I said to the lady, you know, he's alerting me to a medical episode. So I'm going to go and lie down now. And it's really important that you let him focus. Um, but she carried on stroking him. So even whilst I was unconscious, she was still stroking him. Um, and when I woke up, she was sort of touching him and distracting him still. And now he's pretty good at ignoring these things. So he stayed down and um, laying down beside me and made sure I was safe. But that could have been really dangerous. If she'd been stroking him slightly earlier, he might have missed the change in my scent and he might not have alerted at all, which then means I could have just collapsed and been injured. So it's always really important, I think, that members of the public ask first before they distract the dog and respect your decision if you say no, because it's for a reason. Yeah, I think that's completely out of order. I'm quite vocal in, in life and in social and on social media. And oh goodness, I I would have been really angry at that lady. The fact that I obviously you were going through a medical alert at the time and that took over your entire body. But the fact that she continued even after you fell unconscious, what if oh, 
gosh, sorry. I'm just getting mad about it. And it's not even me. People do. They need to A, ask first, but B, not be so intrusive. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for education. I'm all, I'm big on going around and doing talks about guide dogs, for guide dogs. Um, I'm quite happy to educate my local taxi driver if he asks what the guide dog's for, if, if like, you know, there's a misconception that they know where they're going the whole time and you're just being dragged along. And I'm, I'm very open and share that. But the fact that she was so invasive and ignored you just shows that people don't respect disabled people. We are seen as second class citizens. And if, that, if the roles were reversed, I'm very sure she wouldn't be appreciative of you interrupting her or if she had a dog or even a child and you just start playing with the child. I just find it really rude. Yeah, it, I mean, it can be really frustrating and people come up with all sorts of excuses. I mean, often I hear people say, oh, I know I shouldn't distract them, but, and then they'll, they'll distract the dog anyway. Um, people have said, oh, it's okay because I sponsor a puppy, for example. And obviously I'm really grateful for anyone that supports guide dogs in any way, but just because you sponsor a puppy doesn't entitle you to then go and distract a working guide dog. Um, and you know, going through a medical emergency isn't really the time to be distracting a dog or asking invasive questions. I think it's all time and a place sort of thing. Um, yeah, and, and unfortunately, not everyone has the common sense to sort of know when that time and place is. I feel like guide dogs need to do a lot more campaigning around these issues because we are, they're so focused on raising money through sponsorships that the public then see these dogs as their public property and the fact is you might be a you might sponsor a puppy or you might love dogs or you might appreciate the work that the guide dog does for for you or in your case a dual assistance dog and um he's alerting you to to oncoming episodes but it doesn't make it okay that people are still being they're still being invasive and think it's okay to intrude on your personal space well, I definitely agree um, I think it does need more awareness raised for it um, because a lot of people know that you shouldn't necessarily distract a guide dog but they might not know why mm -hmm. so sort of campaigning to explain why it can be dangerous for example um, I, I witnessed another guide dog owner, um, the guide dog was helping them down the stairs and someone started, you know, clapping and making kissy noises. Hey, doggy, doggy, doggy. Mm -hmm. um, if that dog had been distracted there, they could have potentially fallen down the stairs. So it could be really dangerous. I mean, the dog was very well trained and did ignore the, the distraction. But at the end of the day, they are dogs, not robots. So they can become distracted. Um, and it can be really dangerous. So I definitely think that is something that um, guide dogs and also guide dog owners can help in bringing more awareness to them with the public. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Are there any myths or misconceptions you'd like to bust around guide dog working partnerships and in your case, a dual partnership with Rowley? Is it Rowley or Rowley? Because my phone says it's different because of voiceover. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I don't actually know because <laughs> Um, we worked with a few different GDMIs during our training and they each called him something different. So it's oh. Rowley, Rowley or Rowley. Um, I generally call him Rowley as in like Rowley-Poley, but it oh, is spelled okay. with a W. So I think it's meant to be Rowley. But yeah, oh. I'm not actually sure what my own dog's name is, which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, in terms of sort of myths 
that I would like to bust is that you don't have to be completely blind to be a guide dog owner. So I have um, a severe form of tunnel vision. So I still have the use of my central vision and I do utilize that to do things such as read a bus timetable or look at my phone. But to the public, if they see you standing with a cane or a guide dog and then they spot you looking at your phone, they'll think either two, um, two different things. One being that you faking your visual impairment the other that you're a guide dog trainer training that dog for someone else so um that can be quite problematic because uh people come up and go oh it's so lovely that you're training this dog for someone else and uh, I, it's going to be so sad when you have to give him away um and then also the people that just sort of judge and think oh she's faking being blind because she wanted a dog to go everywhere with her um, which obviously is just not the case. I mean, just because I'm able to look at my phone doesn't mean that I'm able to navigate everywhere without difficulty because with tunnel vision, I can't see anything that's on the floor or to the side of me. So when I'm walking, I really struggle with bumping into obstacles and things. So sort of having Rolly to help with that is is hugely beneficial, but I shouldn't have to feel nervous about reading my text message um, because of I'm worried how other people react. So I think that is definitely a myth that should be busted. Mm, I think that's a perfect myth that needs to be busted. There, um, there was a RNIB campaign a few years ago that I got involved with, and it's 93% of people who live with blindness or visual impairment have some residual vision. I was a prolific cane user for a good few years after losing my sight completely because I really wanted to make sure that I had the good enough cane skills and orientation and mobility skills so that I could utilize any guide dog that I had to the best of my ability. And I think that's, that's the myth that people don't realize is that if you have some vision, of course you're going to utilize it. It might not be useful in every circumstance, but like you said, if you can read your phone or you can read bus timetables, my God, that would have made my life so much easier if I could do that instead of having to ask people because back when I first started losing my vision, the apps didn't exist then. So I couldn't use magnification to zoom in. I'd have to take a magnifier and then press it up against the, the bus window. <laughs> and that didn't look great. So yeah, I um yeah, I think the the whole misconception that you have to be totally blind in order to have a guide dog is, is completely false. Are there any kind of disabled, visually impaired people that you interact with online that are also visually impaired and, and talk about this? Um, yeah, I mean, I've spoken to um, other guide dog owners who have had similar issues with um, sort of misconceptions with the public. Um, and I think it is something that's quite common. Um, I'd like to think that most people would be quiet about it, even if they thought you were faking your blindness for whatever reason. Um, but there are those that can be really rude. And the same problem, I think, applies to ambulatory wheelchair users, because most people who use wheelchairs can stand or walk a little bit, but that doesn't mean that they don't need the chair for longer distances. But I've, you know, people in wheelchairs can be scared sometimes to stand up and get something off a shelf because people will take photos and put it on the internet with captions such as "It's a miracle" um, if they've st if they've stood up. So it's a similar sort of thing that um, visually impaired people are facing when they look at their phone whilst um, standing with a cane or a guide dog. Mm -hmm. I sometimes feel a bit nervous about looking at things or using my remaining vision. Um, when out in public which is absolutely ridiculous because that's then further disabling me um, just purely because of what other people are thinking so yeah I think that's definitely something that needs to be tackled
Mm -hmm. absolutely how can the public best assist you if they think you might need support or help in that moment um so i would say just you know just ask um the person if they need any help i mean certainly at the minute with social distancing and everything it's been um a lot harder for people with visual impairments um being unable to see necessarily where people are to actually distance um so i think it's just you know just uh, if the person is looking a little bit lost or confused you can just ask and say you know do you need any help um i would say never just assume that they need help um i've had times where people have just grabbed my arm and helped me across a road that i wasn't even planning on crossing um <laughs> because they're trying to be helpful yeah. but if they'd asked and said do you need any help across the road one that's what the guide dog is for um <laughs> but two i wasn't actually planning to go that way and you know, I, I have enough vision that I could see them coming to grab me, but I, I imagine if you were completely blind and you were suddenly grabbed, that could be quite a scary experience. So you definitely always ask first. Yeah, absolutely. Always ask. That's, that's my biggest tip. Um, I had a really, really strange encounter a few, few years ago when I was a cane user and I was crossing. Thankfully, it was actually a zebra crossing. So I knew the traffic was going to stop for me. But out of nowhere, I had someone say, are you okay? And I said, yes, thank you. But before I even had the words out of my mouth, they picked up the end of my cane and started dragging me into the road because they thought that I didn't like, I don't know what they thought, but they just, they started like pulling me into the road to cross that. They're like, come, come, cross the road, cross the road. And I was like, yeah, I need this thing to stay on the floor and I need to cross the road and I'm ready. And they're like, oh, sorry, I was just trying to help. And I was like, yeah, okay. But just as I was trying to kind of really explain it, he walked away and I was like, okay, bye. Uh, I think it's great when people are trying to help, um, but certainly there's a way to go about it. I wouldn't want to discourage anyone that is willing to help because um, obviously it's great that, that you do. But yeah, definitely before you touch anyone or their medical equipment, so that includes their dog or their cane or their wheelchair, mm. always just ask first. I always like the saying that assistance dogs are like boobs, um, that you shouldn't touch them, photograph them or stare at them without permission. That is beautiful. I've never heard that before. I absolutely love that. <laughs> How do you guys, as in you and the two puppies, how do you all relax in your free time and, and spare time? And especially with Roly, because he is a working dog. And again, there's another misconception that they're forever working and never get any downtime. What do you all do to relax? Um, so every day we go to the park for a free run. So he has lots of time to run around and play with Ruby. Um, even though Ruby's 10, um, she still runs around like a puppy. She's extremely fit. <laughs> Um, so I love getting out and about, especially at the minute, because um, sort of daily exercise is the only thing that I can get out and enjoy um, being, a, being a vulnerable person. Um, yeah, we, we go for walks in amazing places. Um, I've been enjoying listening to audiobooks quite a lot with the RNIB reading services during lockdown. Um, that's been great um, to have a way just to relax myself. Um, and yeah, you know, before lockdown, I really enjoyed things like going to the gym. So I would um, take part in activities such as adaptive cycling or guided running, um, rowing and all, all sorts of different disability sports. Um, but yeah, at the minute, things have sort of died down a little, but we, we're still able to get out and enjoy our walks, which is great.
Rolly is like a really energetic dog. Um, and this is part of the reason why he was matched with me as a dual purpose dog, because if he just has one thing to do, so just guiding, he gets really bored and easily distracted. So having the additional tasks to do, such as picking things up and the medical alert means that he's constantly engaged. Um, so he, in addition to that, he also needs his, his off duty exercise time um, to sort of help manage him. Um, if he was just a guide dog then I think he would have been withdrawn because he just gets bored and he doesn't doesn't thrive on that so he needs lots of uh, lots of things to keep him entertained and we've been having fun in the garden doing sort of obstacle courses and things as well during lockdown and uh, being creative in uh, finding ways to entertain him. Mm -hmm. oh, I saw that and it was so fabulous his contribution is to always do something for you and that makes him happy and I think that's a really nice thing to highlight as well because people do underestimate that guide dogs a don't get downtime but b people may think that that we're abusing the dogs and stuff like that and you go to these extremes and I'm like no because if the dog didn't want to work you'd know all about it yeah exactly I mean like I notice sometimes when he's getting a little bit bored and he's lacking the enthusiasm, um, I have to be creative and sort of accidentally on purpose drop something so that he has something to do. So I'll just be like, whoops, I've dropped my keys. And, <laughs> and, and then he gets to pick them up and that's, you know, that's great. And he loves it. Um, so yeah, he, he's, he was definitely made to be a multi-purpose dog. Um, yeah, if he was just a guide dog, I don't think he would be thriving in the way that he is now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I also wanted to add that not all assistance dogs are guide dogs. So dogs can be trained to help with a whole range of different disabilities. So you have hearing dogs that can alert people um, with hearing loss to different sounds, such as the fire alarm or the doorbell. You have dogs that help with physical disabilities, like how Rolly helps me with sort of getting undressed and things like that. Um, those tasks can be really useful for people that use wheelchairs, for example. Um, you can have assistance dogs that help with autism, you can have seizure alert and medical alert dogs. So they can really be trained to help with a whole range of things. Um, and I noticed um, when I worked Ruby, um, because she wasn't a guide dog, she um, was just a dog aid assistance dog. So she wore um, a red and yellow vest um, rather than a guiding harness. And I noticed that um, working her, I seemed to have a lot more access refusals compared to working Rolly as a guide dog in harness. Um, and I think that's because guide dogs are definitely the best known type of working dog mm. and not as many people are aware of the different kinds of assistance dogs. Um, I also think that isn't really helped by the outdated signage that's displayed in shops. So quite often you'll see in shop windows, it has something um, that will say no dogs except guide dogs. Um, but obviously a guide dog is just one type of assistance dog. So if you've got a hearing dog or a medical alert dog, um, then they use those signs as an excuse as to why they've um, denied you access because they say, oh, it's guide dogs only. But really the, uh, the Equality Act actually protects all types of assistance dogs. So I do think that's um, something that's quite important as well as sort of updating the signage and having the, the correct signs. And I guess Great. for you, you, you're clearly a very energetic person as well. And guide dogs are very, very good at matching the dogs on personality and lifestyle, which is why it can take so long to be on the waiting list for a guide dog. And um, yeah, I think I was, I was so lucky that I was matched with, with Ida after only 19 months. I've had, I have friends who were on the waiting list for up to three years before they got matched. And obviously now they're the perfect match. 
but it is that thing that you can tell that you and Rolly are completely suited to one another and yeah it's, it's just wonderful I'm, I'm really really grateful that you came on the podcast and wanted to share your story and educate me as well as the rest of the audience on just how hard he works and and all the things he does do so thank you thank you very much for having us and um, he recently won the title of UK's hardest working dog so that just proves again um how special he is and I'm very proud of him um, so yeah, thank you very, very much for having us on. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much. And yes, congratulations. See that super dog for real. That is amazing. Well done him. Uh, would you like to share your social media for everyone to come and find you out in the world? Uh, yeah, so we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook um, at Ruby and Rowley the super dogs. And that's Rowley with a W. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Purple Elephant. Rolly, the guide dog with more than one job. With me, your host, Sassy Wyatt, and our lovely guest today, Megan. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I definitely learned lots, and if you haven't already, make sure to go and check out Ruby and Rolly, the Super Dogs Facebook page. I'll leave it in the show notes. And once again, let's hope you've become a better human being. <laughs>